this is The Crime Cafe, your podcasting source of great crime, suspense, and thriller writing. I'm your host, Debbie Mack. Before I bring on my guest, I'll just remind you that The Crime Cafe has two ebooks for sale the nine book box set and the short story anthology. You can find the buy links for both on my website, debbiemack.com. D E B B I M A C K. Dot com under the Crime Cafe link. You can also get a free copy of either book if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. Hi, everyone. It's my pleasure to have as my guest today a crime fiction and nonfiction author who calls herself a shrink with ink. And I don't think that's a reference to tattoos, although no. we can always find out. It's crime writer and psychologist Ellen Kirschman. Hey, Ellen. I'm so glad to have you on the show today. Thank you, Debbie. I'm glad, finally, at last, to be here. <laughs> awesome. Okay. In your bio, you mentioned being born in New York City but say you were born on the wrong coast. And I've often had that same feeling because I love the West Coast. And you mentioned that you live in San Francisco. Right, I live in the Bay Area. Not the most awesome city ever. (laughs) Yes, it is. I love it. I I just adore it. Um, What's your favorite part of living in San Francisco? Well, I live about 40 minutes south. So I can, my favorite part is that I can get up to San Francisco in, you know, just 40 minutes in my car or on a train. So I have one of the world's most beloved cities right there in my back door. I love uh, a lot of things about the Bay Area. The weather, even though we have uh, peculiar four seasons out here, flood, fire, earthquake, and that landslides usually. But most of the time it's temperate and, and wonderful. And I love the vibe out here. The, uh, the kind, we, you know, I know many parts of the country see us as being pretty, um, a little on the uh, too far to the left side, but that, that suits me just fine. <laughs> I know where you're coming from. Um, it is a beautiful area and I love, the cable cars in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I love about it. Mm-hmm. And actually, I used to live in Petaluma, which Get is you. Yeah. about 40 miles north. Right. Also a lovely community. It is. It is very, very nice. Um, your first books were nonfiction. Can you tell us about them? Sure. Um, I, my first book, uh, which just what came out, the third edition came out last May, is called I Love a Cop, What Police Families Need to Know. And I've been thinking about writing that book for almost 20 years, if you can believe it. It was just knocking on the inside of my head. We do so much training for police officers, but it's so cl- it was so clear to me as a, someone who worked primarily with police officers that um, this job just spilled over to their family life and their home in not not always a very positive way because the paradox is the kind of skills that make you a good street cop 
don't make you a very good parent, spouse, friend. Uh, you've got to really learn how to shift gears. So I really wanted to write something that would help police families navigate what it's like to be married to this job that they didn't select most of the time. Um, so the book has been, it's been very gratifying. It's sold well over 150,000 copies. It's been, it, it's kind of, as people have said, the Bible for uh, police families. And it's gratifying to know that I've been able to reach that many people and help that many people. That's really something. That's amazing. Thank you. And then this second book after September 11th, my publisher said, look, we need to do this for firefighters as well. And so we did. And that book is, I'm actually now under contract to update that book uh, because there's a lot that's happened since it was published. And then the most recent nonfiction book came out uh, about two years ago, and that's called Counseling Cops, What Clinicians Need to Know. And in my work, especially uh, my current work with the First Responder Support Network, it's really clear that many clinicians do not understand the uh, subculture of policing and law enforcement in general. And when they don't understand it or when they harbor some uh, personal attitudes, then um, they can make some really egregious mistakes in counseling cops. It's really hard for first responders to reach out and get help. And when they do reach out and somebody makes a huge blunder or fails to connect with them where they're at in their particular life, they really, they, they just don't go back to therapy and they write therapy off entirely as something that might be helpful to them. Yeah, I, I, I can ease, easily picture how people will shut down in the face of the wrong sort of therapeutic approach. So I can give you an example if you'd like. Sure. Uh, we had somebody that came through our first responder retreat who had been in two, I think maybe three um, fatal shootings and was having terrible nightmares. All these shootings were legal, um, but he was having terrible nightmares, real doubts about himself and it was affecting his family. So he finally went to see a therapist. And the first thing the therapist said to him was, so uh, have you finally decided to stop being a trained killer? Right. I see your eyebrows going up and you're not a clinician. So, I mean, wasn't that a horrible thing to say? So that really... Talk about the wrong thing. <laughs> totally. Because here was a, a, an officer who himself was feeling like a victim. You know, why did this happen on my watch? Why did this person, you know, insert themselves in my life? And so that really convinced us that we need to develop what we call culturally competent clinicians, people who may only see a couple of cops a year, but do understand what they do and why they do it. Jeez, I would hope so. Good grief. Um, let's talk about your crime fiction now. Um, what, if a potential reader asked you, how would you describe it? Is it more procedural or more detective? Neither, actually. Neither. Okay. I write, um, my protagonist, Dot Meyerhoff, is a police psychologist. 
Actually, Debbie, when I started this, I thought, you know, re doing research for nonfiction is so difficult. It must be easier to make stuff up. Well, it's absolutely not. I was delusional. It's way harder to write a fast-moving, engrossing piece of fiction, as you know yourself as a writer, <laughs> than it is to write nonfiction, which is basically reporting on, on, you have to know what good science and junk science is, but um, I found fiction much harder. So I have this character, Dot Meyerhoff, who is herself a police psychologist. She's younger than I am, she's 52, and um, she should be counseling cops, not solving crimes, but she never gives up on anybody, and when her officers, the ones she's supposed to be counseling, get into trouble, she gets drawn into um, either their cases or the way their cases are affecting themselves psychologically or their families. I would describe my books as psychological mysteries or thrillers. Um, they are, I tackle serious subjects, but I have a lot of humor in my books. You, you can't work with law enforcement if you don't have a sense of humor. And so I hope my, I do know, I, I'm actually confident that my sense of humor comes through in these books, even though I'm tackling some very, very serious subjects. Yes, I think that's important to be, to achieve that balance, humor, as well as the, the serious stuff. Right. Um, can you tell us uh, a little bit about the uh, story arc that your uh, your series follows, if there is, okay. in terms of okay. your protagonist's development, where does she start and where does she go? Where okay. is she now? <laughs> All right. Well, she is, uh, the first book in the series, it's not necessary to read them in order, but the first book is called Burying Ben, and that uh, relates to uh, Dot counseling a young rookie who is still in the field training program and he's having he's struggling he's having a terrible time particularly with his training officer and dots fighting with the training officer to try to get him to, to sort of settle down be more of a teacher and less of an evaluator because he's pretty rough and in the middle of all of this this young officer um, commits suicide and leaves a note blaming dot Meyerhoff and blaming his training officer so Dot has to, she's brand new on the job. She hasn't just walked, literally walked in the door of, uh, of this police department. And so she has to restore her own confidence. She has to uh, restore her reputation with that department. And she is also in the throes of recovering from a failed marriage in which her ex-husband, also a police psychologist, has uh, left her for a much younger woman with whom he now has children. So she's kind of broken when she gets to the police department, and then this terrible thing happens that this young man uh, kills himself. In the second book called The Right Wrong Thing, um, I tackle the issue of what happens when a police officer makes a dreadful mistake, shoots and kills uh, somebody that is innocent. And in this book, The Right Wrong Thing, a young female officer, also barely out of the training program, um, 
mistakes a young woman's cell phone for uh, a gun and shoots and kills her. So Dodd is counseling this officer who has terrible PTSD, awful survivor's guilt as a result of this and is trying, wants desperately to apologize to the family. At the same time as a female, one of the early females in this particular agency, she's been really, really rejected by her male counterparts. They've been nasty to her. Uh, they think she is weak. She can't hold her own in a fight and so forth. And when she shoots and kills this young teenager, who is also pregnant, as it turns out, suddenly she becomes a hero to all the men in her department. And this turns her stomach. She does not want to be part of that club if that's what it takes to nail the boards up on the clubhouse, that you've got to kill somebody. So she's really conflicted uh, in many ways. And she does try to apologize to the family with some catastrophic results, which I will not reveal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the third book is called The Fifth Reflection. And by this time, my protagonist, Dot, has gotten a lot more confidence in herself is uh, fighting constantly with her police chief, who is kind of a doofus in many ways. Well, well-meaning at times, but awfully unclear on the concept a lot of the time. Um, and so uh, Dot has also now started to date a man named Frank. Um, Frank, I must tell you, is, um, uh, well, I've actually borrowed my husband's entire life for this character of Frank, so much so that his family now calls him Frank when his <laughs> actual name is Steve. Uh, so uh, Frank is uh, taking photography lessons. My husband is a photographer from a very beautiful uh, woman who is uh, a Buddhist. And in the uh, process of studying with her, her child goes missing. She is a very small child who goes missing. And Frank gets involved and Dot gets involved in trying to find this child and uh, figure out what's happened to her. Um, Dot is a little unsettled by uh, Frank's relationship with his teacher, which is totally straight and on the up and up. Uh, and in the meanwhile, the young officer who you, a young officer who you, a reader would have met in the first book is in charge of investigating this case. And he becomes so immersed in trying to find this missing child that his own family starts to fall apart. He has a baby at home the same age as the missing child. So this really is so close to his own life that he um, becomes psychologically really pretty unhinged by the whole, uh, the whole case. And so Dot trying to hold him together, hold the woman whose child has gone missing because she knows her together and, um, and still manage her just sort of new life uh, with Frank. Um, and some people I know, some readers really have uh, they have qualms about reading a book in which anything bad happens to a child, but I have to, to tell you that while there's some 
aspects of child pornography that I talk about in the book, because I like to teach the reader, teach is the wrong word, but I, I, I'm a police insider. There's a lot I know, and I think people are interested in reading about it. This book has a no, nothing graphic. None of my books have anything, any graphic sex, uh, including this one about a child. It is just more about the investigator and his exposure to what he has to do for a living, which is to look at um, child pornography online. You only learn about him. You don't see what he is seeing. The reader will not be exposed to that. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you combine psychological suspense and uh, a way of conveying to readers some inside information in terms of what it's really like to be a police officer or somebody connected with that world. Exactly. My, my wish is that next time a reader of one of my books sees a police officer, they're going to look at them differently. They're going to see the human being that wears that uniform and has that badge. I'm also, so you got it. You got it exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Um, sure thing. I'm working now on revisions on the fourth Dot Meyerhoff mystery. It doesn't yet have a title. It's a, um, uh, a, a lot of heavy lifting in this revision, but it involves a dispatcher. And one of the things that I hope a reader will eventually learn from this book is what it's like to be a dispatcher, because they are unsung heroes in my, uh, in my estimation. Wow. I love hearing this because my husband is a retired firefighter. So that's great. That's awesome. Um, let's see. Have you ever considered writing another series or standalones? I do consider writing a standalone and I actually have a short story, which is the first thing I it's going to be in an anthology coming out this year from the Nasty Woman Press, and the anthology just got a title. It's called Shattering Glass. And my short story, it's the first short story that I've written since in college, and it's the first thing I've done that's in the third person because all my Dot Meyerhoff mysteries and my nonfiction are written in the first person. So, it, yeah, every now and then I get the idea that I want to try another form, like a standalone um, and give Dot a rest because um, she needs a vacation sometimes. <laughs> uh, let's see, you also teach? I do, I teach. Um, I uh, teach, I hold workshops actually internationally for police families and first responder families. I uh, teach peer support because I really believe in the value of peer support. But mostly I do those um, workshops for uh, the police couples or police families. And occasionally I will do something for other clinicians who are wanting to learn about working with this very unique population. Um, and then I do a volunteer a great deal of my time of, uh, at this first responders support network retreats where we hold retreats for first responders who are suffering with the symptoms of post-traumatic stress 
And then we have a parallel set of retreats for the significant others and spouses, spouses of uh, first responders. So I devote a lot of my time to that. That's fantastic. Uh, let's see, is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish up? Um, no, I'm, oh, well, yeah, I, I, I blog with psychology today. If anybody wants to keep up with that, and I um, largely about issues involving first responders and primarily police. And then um, I also have a newsletter, and if people want to sign up for my newsletter, they could go to my website and uh, do that very easily on the home page. And your website is? Uh, Ellen Kirschman, E L L E N K I R S C H M A N dot com. All righty. Well, that's awesome. And Ellen is also doing a giveaway, and I will have information about that on my blog coming up after I put this up. I will put that up on my blog and make sure that everybody, if you're listening to this, be sure and check out my blog because the information will be there as to how to enter. Ellen's giveaway for her. I believe it's your latest book. I, I don't remember. But we'll figure it out. Yeah. It's been a while. Anyway, right. so um, having said that, I will just say thank you, Ellen, for being here. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. And please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to this because it really helps us a lot. Also, please go to DebbieMack.com and check out my blog so you can see our giveaways. Also, where you can um, subscribe to the podcast and uh, buy our Crime Cafe ebooks. In addition, there's also the Patreon page where you can support the podcast and get perks in return. So I hope you'll check those things out. And uh, with that, we'll have another episode next week. So tune in for our next guest, who will be Danny Lopez. And until then, Happy reading, and I'll talk to you later. Mm -hmm.